Welcome to Merchant in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 28th of May 2018 and this is episode number 65. On today's podcast, I talk to WFA trustee David Tassershill about his detective work in France to determine the identities of two majors buried in graves marked unknown, who both died in the German Spring Offensive on the Aisne in May 1918. Hi David, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Can you tell us by giving us an introduction to yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Thanks Tom. Yes, well... It originally started way back in 1990 when I read for the first time Martin Middlebrook's First Day on the Somme. Uh, I was so taken by the book, as soon as I finished it, I, I just started rereading it from the beginning right away again. So that, that was a starting point. And then the following year, my brother and I went over to France to visit the battlefields of the Somme. Basically, uh, I've been hooked ever since. Now, we're here today to talk about some of your detective work, which has resulted in the identification of two soldiers in France whose graves were marked as unknown. Can you tell us about how you came across this story and found these graves? Sure. What um, my wife and I did, we trundled down to the Chemande Dam a few years ago, rather than the normal battlefields of the Somme and Ypres. And the main thing that I wanted to do was follow the Sidney Rogerson book, Last of the Ebb, uh, in which he uh, explains the story of the Third Battle of the Aisne, in which the Germans broke through the British and French front lines on the 27th of May 1918. So we were basically following Sidney Rogerson's book and happened to visit, well, the first of two cemeteries. The, the first cemetery was La Ville au Bois Cemetery, which is near Pont-Avert. And we were just wandering around the cemetery, looking at the various headstones like, like you do, and came across the headstone of an unknown major of the Loyal North Lancashire Regiment. Now, knowing that the cemetery, or believing that the cemetery, was more or less 100% made up of soldiers who were killed on the Third Battle of the Aisne, this could really only be for a short period. The person who was buried here could only have been killed in a relatively short period of the war. Knowing that he was a rank of major as well narrowed down the, the options, I thought. So I made a note of the details and took a photograph of the cemetery and thought, well, we'll have a look at this when, when I get back home. We moved on. That was fairly early one morning. We moved on and, and had a lunch stop at John Cherry, where there's another British cemetery. And lo and behold, we did the... Did, we did the same thing. We wandered down the, around the cemetery and found another headstone of another major, this time an unknown major, Royal Engineers. It was quite surprising that we came across this second headstone with very similar details, and the same thought process occurred to me that uh, it seemed more than likely that it may be possible to identify the soldier buried here. So once again, I took details of the headstone, took a photograph or two, looked left and right to see who was buried close by, if there was any clues there, and uh, decided to investigate when we got back home. So what did your um, detective work uncover? Who were these um, missing majors? Right, well, once we got... Once I got home, I interrogated the Commonwealth War Graves Commission website using various uh, uh, parameters. I identified the first individual at La Ville au Bois 
has been, or is likely to be, somebody with the supername of Octavius Darby Griffith. Um, Octavius Sidney Darby Griffith, to be precise. He was the only major of the Loyal North Lanks killed in the area. And indeed, there was only one battalion of the regiment involved in the Third Battle of the Aisne. So it seemed to me that it was a fairly open and shut case that this was indeed Octavius Sidney Darby Griffith. I did realise at the time that more investigation would be needed. Um, similarly, I, I undertook a, a um, search on the CWGC website for the unknown major oil engineers, and once again, there was really only one candidate it could be, somebody by the name of Alexander Souter. Um, his investigation took a, an unusual twist in that the medal index card, when I came to investigate uh, this particular officer, gave him a different Christian name of Alistair. So um, that I assumed to be a, a clerical error, but as the investigation turned out, it wasn't a clerical error at all. Alexander was no, known by his family as Alistair, so um, he, he um, really is, is Alistair, although he was christened Alexander. So what, what can you tell us about the backgrounds of Major Sutar and Major Darby Griffith? Starting with Octavius, he actually came from a, quite a well-known, prominent military political family. Relatives of his uh, had been admirals, generals, and even a member of parliament. Octavius actually enlisted in 1887 as a private in the South Lancashire Regiment in the city of Portsmouth. It's a real curiosity why he enlisted as a private, but just to jump forward a little bit, uh, upon uh, checking his officer's file at the National Archives, there are hints uh, at a point during his service when he applied for a commission that his uh, father may well have had financial difficulties um, and he enlisted under the name of Darby rather than Darby Griffith. So there is a bit of a mystery which uh, is still to be fully unravelled as to why he enlisted as a private. Nevertheless, over the next 20-odd years of service in the South Lancashire Regiment, which was mainly in uh, Jersey, but he also seemed to have done a stint in, uh, in Southern Ireland, he rose from private to, to sergeant. Um, after doing his 21 years, he managed to wangle another couple of years out of the army and eventually retired in 1910 after having married a local girl in, in, um, in St. Helier, uh, Jersey, by the name of Alice. They had four daughters, although one of them died in infancy, and these um, three surviving daughters helped um, the family uh, in their occupation as a uh, pub landlord, effectively, although on the census he put himself down as a hotelier at the Forest, Forester's Arms in St. Helier, which um, investigation told me is apparently the oldest pub on the island of Jersey. So he, Octavius continued as a publican, I imagine, until 1914 when the war broke out and then uh, must have volunteered uh, to go back into the army. He probably was quite pleased, uh, I imagine, uh, after such a long time to, to, to be rejoining the colours and um, was um, made a lieutenant in the Loyal North Lancashire Regiment, so a different regiment to the one that he had served in. But nevertheless, um, he was back in the fold in the army. Uh, there's a bit of uh, debate about the, the next period of his service. Some records suggest he went out with one of the battalions of the Loyal North Lanks, but I'm not convinced about that. But what is not what is not in doubt is that he was in the trenches shortly after the 1st of July 1916, when he was uh, at La Boiselle with the 25th Division. 
in the 9th Battalion, Loyal North Lance. He was actually admitted to hospital in August with trench fever and was home on sick leave during the month of September, rejoining his battalion in October on the Somme, but only seven days later was wounded in the right shoulder and invalided home and was out of action effectively for more or less nine or ten months. So nine months later, he rejoined his unit in July 1917, um, but didn't really go into action as far as I can see. His next period of service was after a senior officer's course, which he passed out of and was um, made up to the rank of major. Basically, he rejoined the 9th Loyal North Lanks in April 1918, and the battalion was sent down to the Aisne in order to recuperate from the damage that it had undertaken during the German Spring Offensive. It was on the Aisne where he was effectively acting as the battalion's colonel, but in, importantly was not actually made up to the rank of lieutenant colonel. This was to have repercussions for his widow later. He'd not been acting as um, battalion commander for, for too long when the Germans attacked on the 27th of May and he was basically shot through the heart, according to a, um, an account of one of his soldiers, and buried, I would imagine, where he fell. It was some years later, probably in the early 1920s, when his grave was exhumed and transferred to the cemetery where I discovered him, that the exhumation seems to have failed to recognise his name, and at that point he seems to have been buried as an unknown major. So how do they identify him as a major belonging to the North uh, Loyal Lancashire Regiment? The exhumation report gives details of the um, exhumation, which tells us that he was able to be identified by rank insignia, regimental badges, and also it's, it says medal ribbon. It didn't actually say military cross medal ribbon, but nevertheless, Octavius had been awarded the military cross. So all these factors helped to identify the body as being a major of the Royal North Lanks. So tell us about Major Souter. Major Souter is a bit of an enigma in terms of his early life, in that we do know that he was the son of a minister in the Free Church of Scotland, and he went to ch- he went to school in Glasgow and followed a his father as a youngster, to the very northern tip of the British Isles um, at a town called Thurso. I don't know exactly what he did before the war, but at the outbreak of the war, he seems to have been fairly quick to enlist, and there is a footprint of him um, joining the Royal Engineers in December 1914. What seems to have happened is that he joined a unit that was destined for the 38th Welsh Division. So here he is, I imagine, with a fairly thick Scottish accent, joining the 38th Welsh Division with all the South Wales um, miners and whatnot. So obviously, possibly each party struggling to understand each other. The 38th Welsh Division obviously went out to France and took part in the Battle of the Somme at Mamex. And there is quite frequent mentions of Alastair Souter being in the war diary. So there's quite frequent mentions of Alistair Souter in the unit's war diary, and what I was able to do is, using the starting point of his field company, I was able to go backwards in time and and track his his movements through um, two different field companies in the 38th Welsh Division, where he was involved in the Battle of the Somme and the Third Battle of Ypres. 
and eventually his promotion and transfer out of the 38th Division to be officer commanding the 98th Field Company in the 21st Division. The division had been, again, badly damaged as in a similar way to to Octavius's division in the German Spring Offensive and had therefore been sent to the uh, Shimandi Dam area to rest and recuperate and absorb reinforcements. At that point, all hell obviously broke loose on the British lines when the Germans attacked on the 27th of May. On the second day of the German attack on the Ain, he, with his field company, was in the line um, trying to stem the German attack and he was killed on the 28th of May um, when he and another officer went out on a brief reconnaissance during a German attack near the village of Hermanville, which is just slightly back from the frontline positions that the 21st Division were holding. So the reason we're recording this uh, podcast today is um, I gather um, there's going to be a ceremony out in France um, in a couple of days' time. What's going to happen there? So on the 30th of May, there's going to be a couple of rededication ceremonies. The first one's going to be at John Cherry, Sewer Vessel, where the Souter family will be coming in from as far away as Canada and Hong Kong for the headstone of Alistair Souter to be rededicated. This ceremony is, is being organised by the JCCC, which is part of the Ministry of Defence, and they are responsible for the identification of um, remains that are found and also for organising ceremonies of this nature. Later the same day, there will be a similar ceremony uh, at Pont Vert for the La Ville au Bois Cemetery, when a similar ceremony will take place for Octavius David Griffith. So how have the um, relatives of um, these soldiers responded to your, to, your, to your discovery? There's been a superb response from the Souter family. They are very happy indeed for the ceremony to be taking place and will be there in, in numbers. Unfortunately, it's been less easy for the JCCC to identify members of Octavius Derby Griffith's family. Uh, whilst they have identified um, a great-great-granddaughter of Major Darby Griffith. Unfortunately, none of his family will be there for the ceremony, um, which is a bit of a shame. And when we talk about rededication, David, does that mean that um, I'll be able to, to search both uh, Major Souter and Major Darby Griffith's details on the Commonwealth War Graves uh, website and, and they'll, they'll technically no longer be quotes missing? That is correct, yes. The, 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 the details are obviously still on the CWGC website, um, but rather than being listed as missing and named on the Swasson Memorial to the missing, they will both be detailed as having known graves in two different cemeteries. In the fullness of time, I do expect that their names will be removed from the panels of the Swasson's Memorial, but in the short term, I imagine that their names will remain inscribed on the panels there. David, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Tom. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman, 
and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>